Hi, I'm Lesha Holzaffel, and you're listening to the Fit Mom Squad podcast, a podcast for moms who are ready to lose the weight they want without gaining it back by learning the holistic approach to nutrition and how our brains determine our long-term success. Welcome to the Fit Mom Squad. Welcome back to the Fit Mom Squad podcast, mama friend. Today on the show, we have a returning guest, Danielle Dame. Welcome back to the Fit Mom Squad. Thanks for having me. Hi, everyone. It's so great to be back. I'm excited to continue the conversation and continue sharing and hopefully inspiring all of you listening. Yeah. So when Danny came on the show first, she came on episode 25. If you haven't listened to that one, make sure to go back and listen to it. Super valuable. And she talked about how to have freedom from sugar. So it was kind of like a starting guide, starting point where we talked about sugar addiction and your journey. And you gave some great advice for the audience, but today we're going to go a little deeper and we're going to go, it's kind of like a sequel, so to speak to that episode. So, you know, you don't have to necessarily listen to that episode before you listen to this one, but I would recommend at some point that you go back. It was a powerful episode, but today we're going to go into the three pillars of sugar freedom. And before we do that, can you reintroduce yourself? Because there's many new listeners. I'm sure that never heard of you. So just quickly tell us who you are who you help, a little bit about your story. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that. And yeah, that episode was so much fun to record a while back. So everyone definitely go and listen to that. So I'll I'll keep it short in my intro here because I know I dove more into my story in the last one, but as you've already shared, I'm Danny. I'm a holistic and nutrition coach and sugar freedom coach as well. And my passion is really helping women uncover the root causes of their addictions and patterns to sugar and really help them find a new way of living where sugar no longer controls them. And there's peace and freedom when it comes to, to their, just their relationship with food in general. I mean, sugar is a small subset that so many of us can relate to like, you know, really noticing the cravings, but ultimately this really spans out to all food, you know, our patterns with food, our overeating, our binging, our fear of food and all those pieces. So that journey has really unfolded for me and really uncovering this passion for me. I started working with women about six years ago after having spent my whole life loving sugar every step of the way, you know, I was raised in sort of a traditional nuclear family doing all the the normal things, you know, we would go on trips and adventures and, you know, I had a really great upbringing. And a big part of that was, you know, I look back in hindsight, you know, was very, very much focused on sugar and white carbohydrates. I was a picky eater and I only wanted to eat the white stuff, the white pasta, the white bread, the white buns. Like I pretty sure I lived on pasta and cheese for like many years of my (laughs) younger life. My poor mom could not get meat in me. She could not get, like, I just didn't want to eat anything. So I was really fussy and really picky. And I always, you know, and that really obviously bred and perpetuated my, my love for that sweet taste in my mouth, right? That sugar. So sugar was everywhere. I mean, we used it, you know, to treat myself. Like, you know, I had a good soccer game. We would go to Dairy Queen and get ice cream, you know, and I would get good grades at school and we would, you know, bake and have dessert. We even had a, I was absolutely laugh and look back at this now, but we actually had like one of the, you know, one of those like antique trunks, like those cool, you'd see in the movies, like really cool looking like antique trunk that we would actually like make our own candy grab bags, like filled with mixed candy. And these little, like in these little white, like sandwich bags, you know, that used to get at like the diners. And we would like bulk make them and have like 
20 or 30 of these bags, like in this tickle trunk and it had a lock on it. And every time we were like good, or we did something special, mom would be like, Oh, go get yourself a candy bag. And she'd like, give us the key. And we would go and like take from this like candy trunk. So it was everywhere, right? Like sugar was a really big part of my upbringing and how for most of us, I think, you know, how we used it to show love and treat ourselves and celebrate and deal with difficult emotions. You know, when I was sad or I was crying, like, Oh, let's go have some ice cream, right? Let's make you feel better. So all that patterning for me started really young and my love for sugar. So, you know, I went off and grew up, went to university, went off to work, you know, did all the things and, you know, continued sort of eating that way. You know, I was always very active. So I was able to kind of on the outside sort of outrun, you know, the facts of the way I was eating the pasta, the pizza, the, the candy, the ice cream, like all of the junk I was eating, let alone all the like fancy drinks from Starbucks that have like, you know, a week's worth of sugar in them. Sugar right? drinks, yeah. They're not <laughs> yeah. even coffee. It's just like sugar with a little like dab of coffee. Yeah. And you know, what's funny. Like I grew up hating coffee. My dad drank a lot of coffee and he used to have sugar cubes by that. And I used to just like eat them whole. I would like throw handfuls in my mouth, but I hated coffee. And when I got to university, like, you know, everyone around me was drinking coffee and it looked like the cool, sophisticated thing to do. So That's how I started quote unquote, liking coffee is I would have like the caramel macchiato or, you know, the frappuccino. That's, that was my guilty pleasure growing up. And now I'm like, I can't even have a sip of that. It makes me like want to vomit because it's so sweet. I used to do the white chocolate milk as a star. Yes. Right. And so, you know, I was like, oh, I'm drinking coffee. I feel so special. And there was a whole thing with that, but there was no coffee in there. I'm pretty sure there was like essence of coffee and it was just like fake drink. So yeah, anyway, that's, that's really, you know, how I just, you know, went through life, you know, not thinking much of it, you know, because I was able to stay relatively thin. I was very active. I still played soccer. I went to the gym. I did it quote unquote, all the things I ate the kale salad and the quinoa. And like, you know, I was doing those things. And then of course eating junk on the side or covering it in caramelized pecans and sugary salad dressing. So it was definitely a big part of my life. And, you know, things really didn't change for me until my husband and I ended up quitting our jobs for various reasons, which I go more into in that episode that we recorded previously, but we quit our jobs and went and traveled in South America for a year. And it was on that trip that, you know, I really started finally seeing nutrition in a different way and seeing nourishing my body in a different way really noticing these other cultures and how they, for instance, cooked their own food. What? Mm -hmm. You didn't just order takeout and like buy frozen concept cookie. What a concept. Like they went to the market and bought produce and then cooked it like what? So just being more in that environment. I mean, my mom cooked a lot growing up as well, but once I got into my adulthood, you know, it just wasn't a thing. It was convenient foods left, right, and center. So I just started seeing how they connected with the land differently and food and nourishment. And I started really noticing in my body, you know, months of traveling and eating, you know, a poor traveler's diet of, you know, anything, you know, sugary and that would survive on a bus ride. Right. So just eating like junk for a long time, you know, my husband and I both started noticing our bodies really starting to bog down, be exhausted, starting to gain weight, started kind of noticing those pieces and we then at that point started making more of an effort to eat more whole real foods, be at places where we could cook, which is tricky when, if anybody's ever traveled abroad where you can't trust the water, it's very tricky to make a salad and wash vegetables. You have to like buy filtered water to rinse them in and then rinse them again. It's a whole thing, right? So yeah, it was a bit tricky. And, you know, the end of that trip, you know, is really where things started firing for me. We were 
in the middle of nowhere in the Colombian jungle and living completely off the land. It was the first time I'd ever done that in my whole life. It was so out of my comfort zone. I was like, but how am I going to get my snacks? Like, what if I'm hungry? And so we went, we did it. I mean, we were there for the adventure. We were along for the ride. And it was during that two weeks that we were there that I, I went through what I call my accidental sugar detox because we were living so clean and off the land you know, the sugar that we were eating, we were actually chewing on sugar cane, which for those who don't know, not processed is not actually that high in sugar content. When you're actually chewing it, it's quite a, quite a cultural experience. So we were eating really, really clean. And, you know, even aside that fact, like I looking in hindsight, my body was going through withdrawals, right? I was not sleeping well. I was hungry. I would wake up really hungry in the middle of the night, even though I was getting lots of good nourishment. You know, I was tired at weird times. I had headache. My digestion was totally weird, you know, was doing weird things. So, you know, looking back, I know now that my body was having like shock from not being on processed foods anymore. And that break was enough to really start planting seeds for me and curiosities for me around my cravings and addictive patterns with sugar. I started noticing them lessening. I started noticing my taste buds changing. I started noticing like, oh, wow. When we no longer have our crutch, like I no longer had my processed food crutch. I really had to like really pay attention to my body and really start noticing my body behaving in different ways. And really, I eventually did start feeling a bit lighter and cleaner and, you know, really just really just started planting that seed and curiosity for me to start doing some more experimentation for myself. And we came home to Canada. I remember trying some of these old favorites of mine, like licorice and caramel frappuccino from Starbucks. And my taste buds were like, no, thank you. And that was really eye-opening for me because never in my mind would I have, or my life, would I have ever thought I wouldn't like a caramel frappuccino or I wouldn't like licorice. Like who doesn't like licorice, right? Or who, who does like, like licorice? <laughs> okay. I'm talking about like red licorice. Okay. Like oh, Twizzlers okay. and stuff. I don't yeah. know why I think black licorice, probably because like I take the supplement that has licorice for your gut and yeah. it's like, Ooh, it's like that aftertaste. Don't I, you know what, just. For the record, I do love straight black licorice. I have Scandinavian genes and heritage. Mm. It's in my blood. The real licorice is in my blood. Because I was about to say, I'm like, yeah, I don't. (laughs) Okay, we're talking about Twizzlers and nibs here, guys. That's what I'm talking about. Like North American licorice. So, you know, that really was eye-opening for me. That was just kind of the next piece of like, wow, my mouth is changing. And I really started noticing, realizing, like having those epiphanies for myself that sugar had control over me. And I was addicted to it. And like, I couldn't go a day without sugar. And I was relying on it for every emotion and every part of my day. And so once I started really putting those pieces together, that's when I started my journey. I was like, I need to get a hold of this. Like I want to start nourishing myself. And, you know, I really dove into my, my why in that, you know, and, you know, really found my flow with like why I want to get clean up my diet and live a long, happy, healthy life where I can be going on adventures and traveling to South America when I'm 90, if I want to, right. Like I want my body to support that. So I started really understanding like how I feed myself literally is a direct dictator of how I'm going to age and the diseases may or may not develop. And and all of those pieces, I started kind of putting that together and becoming really dedicated to that, you know, that journey for myself and exploring what that looks like. So that was six or seven years ago now. And fast forward to now, you know, I have such a healthy and happy relationship with food and sugar. And for me, it's not about avoiding anything it really is about being intentional and approaching foods with love and with what I know my body does and does not like react well with. So, 
you know, and now I help other women find that peace and that freedom. So that's like the quick, the quick story. There's so much more to it, but this is really, it unfolds every year for me. I'm always learning and growing as I'm sure you can relate to this journey doesn't really end. There's always new challenges and pieces where, oops, I ate too much or oops, I shouldn't have, you know, had that third glass of wine or like what was going on there for me. And I can approach that with loving kindness and compassion for myself now, instead of guilt and shame, like I used to. And that to me is success. That to me is health. Yeah. And I love that you said that, how you're going through that experience. And for you, it wasn't so much even about like losing weight. Cause it's not necessarily like you had a weight problem. So a lot of women, they want to quit sugar, give up sugar because you're trying to lose weight and they eat a lot of it, but it's also like the long-term health effects of sugar. And not to mention just the attachment that you have that addiction, which I talked about when I was on your show too, is just like, you don't want to be, you don't want this substance to have control over you. Right. You get to that point and then like, you don't have any, you start going through withdrawal symptoms. You're like, what the heck? Like, that's scary to me. And so, and it's so hard because I think like you mentioned when you were younger, how your mom would like, you know, have this sugar, this candy box and everything, but also not even when you were not even a good, not even a good reward. It was even like when you were sad So it's like, I want to talk about, and we'll get into the, I'm sure one of your pillars will have to do with this emotional eating. And we can kind of start there of like, when people think of emotional eating, there's also like, you could eat for good emotions. You can rely on sugar and for bad emotion. It's not necessarily one or the other. And then it becomes, like you said, this crutch. And when you finally remove it, like, you know, when I shared how I gave up sugar for a year, it was like, oh my gosh, I no longer had sugar to rely on. So I had to rely on different things. Yeah. And I had to find other substitutes of like non-food items. And let's dive into the three pillars of sugar freedom. And let's start with pillar number one. And let's just go over it. Let's, Teach let's do it. Teach me your ways, Danny. <laughs> Teach me. Let's do it. Before I dive in, I just want to go back to something that you just said and just like, and just change some words there because what I find, and we'll dive more into this when we talk about the emotional eating piece, but I just wanted to say it because you just mentioned it. Most people have this language around emotions of emotions are either good or bad. Hmm. They're positive or negative. And we need to be really careful because what we're doing there is essentially telling our subconscious or perpetuating the pattern of like heavy, difficult emotions are things I shouldn't feel. Like feeling depressed and anxious and stressed are bad and I'm bad if I feel them and they shouldn't be felt. So when we do that, this is perpetuating the problem, which I'll explain in a minute, but we just need to be cautious of our language around that bad and good. Anything in life is not bad or good. Everything's subjective, Mm -hmm. right? Like I can think a rainy day inside snuggled up aside, you know, with my favorite blanket and a cup of tea is so good. It's such an amazing day. And you can be absolutely miserable sitting there going, this is the worst day ever. It's raining outside. So there is no good or bad. It's all really subjective. So really important keeping that in mind. Now, the three pillars, and I love this. This has been a, I don't want to call it a formula, but you know, these pillars that I've developed have been a accumulation of what I've learned working with hundreds of women now over the last six years and really noticing and paying really close attention to what's going on at the root. And one of my biggest obsession, and I'll mention this before I share these three pillars, is, and my purpose and and my area of expertise is really diving to the root cause. Cause the problem that I see so many people making and so many women making, and if you're making this mistake right now, please don't shame yourself. Please don't guilt yourself. This is totally okay. You didn't know it. And hopefully now you will know it is this fact that we seem to believe that 
you know, getting off of sugar or kicking our sugar cravings or getting in control of our sugar addiction or whatever terminology you're using is just a matter of avoiding sugar, right? Like I just need to willpower myself off of sugar for a year. Like you did, right. Or 90 days or 30 day detox, right? Like there's all these flashy detoxes out there right now being like, you know, cure your sugar, you know, your dependency on sugar in 30 days, right. By just going off eating clean. This is great. This is very much a part of the process. And that's actually pillar number one. I'll share in a minute, but there's more to it, which is why I've developed these three pillars. There's actually more to it. If you truly want to create lasting change, we can't look just at the surface level and we can't just do the detox of sugar. And I saw this very quickly, you know, I'd have clients and we'd work together and they'd be great and feel amazing. Their lives were changed. They had energy. They were like eating and meal planning and like doing all these amazing things. And then something would happen in their life. And immediately they would revert back to old patterns. They were binging. The one night of binging on ice cream turned into two nights. It turned into three nights. And they're like, what's going on? Why am I sabotaging myself? So we can't look at this relationship with sugar from just a physical aspect. We have to look at it from an energetic and emotional and internal aspect as well. So that being said, that caveat is what got me really fascinated about why and really diving into the root cause of any addiction, really. But, you know, specifically our relationship with food and really becoming, you know, fascinated with why do we eat? Why are we actually eating in these moments? And why is it so hard for us besides obviously the very physical, you know, pull that sugar is having on our cells and our brain and all of that? What else is going on there that's keeping us in this self-sabotaging loop, you know, when life gets difficult? So this is where I developed these three pillars. And I really saw as soon as I started integrating this into my work and with my clients, I noticed very quickly that these changes began actually sticking. And, and in my own journey, my struggle with sugar, I mean, I didn't mention this earlier, took me a good two or three years of struggling. You know, I'd be good for a month and then I would binge for a month and then I'd be good for a month and then I'd binge for a month. And I was like, what is wrong with me? What is going on? And it took me a good solid, like somewhere between two and three years to really feel grounded in control of sugar and of not really needing it or craving it or using it as a crutch anymore. And that's where like, I started putting together, like, what was it that finally clicked for me? What was it that actually made this a lifelong change and a lifelong shift internally? And that's where these three pillars came in. So I'll just share really quickly pillar number one, and then I'll go into each of them more in depth. Pillar number one is the detox from sugar. There's no doubt we do have to get it out of our system in order for our body to operate properly. So we do need to detox. The second pillar that everybody avoids, and this is where hopefully we'll spend the most time talking because this is my absolute passion and expertise, is the inner work. So pillar number two is the inner work. And this is where emotional eating lies. This is where there's so many pieces that we need to look at why we're actually eating and where that's coming from. And then the third pillar is community. We cannot do this or literally anything in our lives without community, without connection and community. These are so key in any change, especially something as difficult and challenging as maybe giving up sugar or starting to eat a different way and look after yourself in a different way. We need to have our people around us, you know, which is why both you and I host podcasts, right? To try to build that community and try to build, and we have communities and groups and stuff. So that is a, a key piece as well. So that's a quick overview. Do you want me to dive a little bit deeper into, into each of those? Yes. Let's talk about detox from sugar briefly, but let's spend most of the time on the inner work. Cause I yeah. feel like for the most part, like you said, you know, women know about the sugar detoxes and how they yeah. physically have to get off of it. And you yeah. are right. And like, 
it's funny. Cause like, it's such a habit for me to say like good or bad things. Cause just everyone it's just like such a default thing. And it's just, I think that we feel bad about having certain feelings. It's not necessarily that, you know, some of us, like, I don't make, make it feel like I'm bad because I'm having these bad feelings. They don't feel good, but some people do. And so I love that you brought that up and to make them neutral because it's just part of the human experience. Right. But I think for the most part, we all kind of know like, okay, there is a process. We actually have to let go of sugar if we want to heal from the addiction and get freedom. So let's go over that briefly. And then we'll dive into pillar number two, because I'm really curious about that one. Yes. That's the magic pillar, the magic pillar that everybody wants to avoid. Okay. So let's talk about, yeah, the detox piece. And you're right. Many of you knowing or listening know, right? Like, okay, I need to give up sugar. So just the, the couple small points. I mean, there's obviously so many nuances. I go, how do I give up sugar? What do I eat? And what foods should I do? And like, there's all those like nitty gritty questions. Even fruit. Even yes. Just, that's exactly. like what I got all the time when I said I gave up sugar for you. Like, yeah. well, what does that mean? What, like, did you eat any fruit? It's just like all these yeah. nuances, right? Yeah, and- totally. And I want to say to that too, like, if anyone, I know there are a lot of people out there preaching, like you have to do it this way. I truly believe that there are like, there's a myriad of ways to detox from sugar. And, you know, what I've seen in my practice, I'm not saying this is for everyone, but what I've really seen is that most human beings that are in the processed food, sugar cravings can really benefit from even just removing the biggest culprits, right? So yes, you can get really nitty gritty and literally cut out all carbohydrates, which, you know, I, I don't recommend our, our body and our thyroid and adrenals and brain need some carbohydrates, but in a healthy way. So really what I say in terms of when people ask me like, well, what do I avoid? What are the things that I'm giving up? So I say three categories here, all alternative and natural and like added sugars, right? So anything that you would know as sugar, and, and all the other like little sneaky, quote unquote, healthy sugars, like honey, maple syrup, agave, please give Brown up agave. Rice syrup. I, <laughs> rice was syrup. At, I was just at Costco and this is like totally a different podcast episode. I was just shopping at Costco before I jumped on this call with you. And there's all these like keto, you know, products yeah. now out because keto is the, yeah. the famous thing on the market. And like, I picked some of them up, just curious, like, oh, it's a new product. And then it says like keto and this amount of grams of net carbs. And then I flip it over, which most people don't, they just throw it in their cart. Cause they don't know what, you know, you yeah. just don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And like the third ingredient is like brown rice syrup or like cane sugar and all this. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, it's just so frustrating to me. But yeah, these are like the sneaky things. So yeah. all of those are like one, what's the other categories? Yeah. Food? So then you're going to want to really take stock of all the like simple white carbohydrates right? So white pasta, white flour, you know, all your favorite pastries that can be salty things too. I mean, I've had some clients come work with me. They're like, I don't eat sugar. I just love chips and pretzels. I'm like, that's okay. sugar girl. So to you. Butter. So, okay. I'm going to pause here. Cause this is very interesting. Yeah. When you teach your clients to go through this detox, you also include these white starchy carbs in the process. Yes. Okay. And, and explain a little bit why, because for most people, this would completely throw them off and they would not even consider that these aren't sweet things. Why am I giving up white rice and pasta? Yeah. So what's going on here is like with flour, white pasta, white rice, these like white, simple carbohydrates is that they have, most of them have been completely stripped of their nutrients, right? So they're not in a whole form anymore. And what that means is they're literally just naked, like what my friend calls naked carbs, right? They're naked. 
they have no fiber. They have no vitamins, minerals, nutrients, like, well, maybe micro pieces of them. So what happens when we eat it is it actually reacts the same as if we're going to have like, you know, a candy bar in our mouth and in our body. These are the types of carbohydrates, these simple carbohydrates that convert extremely quickly straight into glucose in the body. And this is where we are getting the blood sugar spikes, the insulin spikes, the like really quick surge, right? It's like, think of having like an espresso shot and it just like hits you right away and you're like on fire, right? So this is like the quick hits of carbohydrates in the simple form, right? In their sugary form are just as damaging as, you know, eating a sour key or having some ice cream. So these need to be also understood as sugar as well when we're eating them and when they're included in packages that we have. There's nuances with that. You know, some people argue about oats and nuts, like there's all sorts of like little nuances, but as a general, you know, just getting processed foods out, you know, things like bread and pasta, you know, those will really do you wonders when you really start to understand how those quickly convert to sugar. And when you actually clean your taste buds up and get off of sugar, you will notice that those things, even though you didn't think they were sweet, they actually are sweet. They are actually sweet in the mouth. We just can't notice it because we've been so hijacked by, you know, the ice cream and candy that we don't really taste the sweetness of bread anymore, but it is sweet. It is an actual sweet food that we're just not really aware of because maybe there's some salt in it as well. Right. So we're getting that kind of covered up. So we need to really be careful about any of those foods that convert really quickly into glucose that immediately, as soon as it hit your stomach, your gut, like it's sugar, it's firing off into the bloodstream as opposed to, you know, a complex carbohydrate, which, you know, whole grains, right. You know, whole foods, yams, squashes, like these foods that actually have fiber in them. Right. The difference between like eating an apple and drinking a glass of apple juice, right? It's got the actual fiber and vitamins and minerals that need to slow the release of that sugar into your bloodstream. So that's what we're looking for is like really slow releasing carbohydrates, not the quick hit, because that's where we're really getting bombarded and doing a lot of the physical damage when it comes to sugar. Those are the two. And then you said there's a third. Yeah. So the third one to avoid would be high sugar fruits. So I don't say all fruits. I say really like the high sugar fruits. So things, mostly the tropical fruits. that's a good place to start, right? The mango, the bananas, the the pineapple, the watermelon as well. My daughter would hate you. (laughs) I bet she would. My four-year-old can eat a whole watermelon by herself. (laughs) She'd be like, don't tell me to give him my watermelon. Yeah. And keep in mind, like this is just for, I mean, obviously some people want to make this a lifestyle and I don't believe there's one right way or wrong way. Nothing's right or wrong here. So that if that's a lifestyle that you want to continue because you feel amazing eating like that, like keep going. But for a lot of people who want to rebuild a relationship and maybe be able to like have some here and there, this is just what you're going to really do during the detox period. So deciding for yourself. And that's another question. A lot of people ask me is like, how long do I detox from? And that really depends on each person individually. So I recommend a minimum of minimum of 30 days and then assess. Most people get, you know, most of my clients, I don't know if you have this as well, Asha, but you know, get a couple of weeks in and realize, wow, this is actually easier than I thought. And I'm going to keep going because it feels great. So, you know, just giving yourself whatever, you know, timeline you need, the, obviously the longer, the better, the more repair is going to happen in your gut, the more your cells will be able to repair before starting to bring it back in. And when you're detoxing, it also opens up this space, as you know, from taking your year off of sugar, it opens up the space to really be forced to look at the other patterns that are really in this inner work piece that we'll get into, you know, you have to find alternatives. So the longer you go without sugar, the more you really get forced into doing those things, you know, the more holiday days come by and you're like, well, what am I going to do on holidays or birthdays? Or you have to figure these things out. So I recommend, you know, somewhere between, you know, 30, if not 90 days, 
you know, sugar-free just to get a good baseline for your body and then assessing from there. I mean, it, it depends on everybody kind of where they're at at that point. Everybody's body is different. We've all been, you know, depends on our age, how long we've been hooked on sugar, how much we've been eating our whole lives. Has it just been a little bit, or are we living on Coca-Cola? Like, you know, kind of what our body needs to, to get back into balance. So does that make sense? Yes, it does completely. And I'm just like totally fascinated by the white carbs. Cause I mean, I guess when I, the way I teach nutrition, like I don't teach women to eat that anyway, but I wouldn't even like think about how like giving them up to let go of sugar. And it makes total sense. I'm just like, wow. I didn't, I was just like, oh yeah, you're right. I knew that, but it was like, so eye opening even to me. So that you do that, let's say minimum 30 days. Yeah. I would say when it comes to pillar two, is that something that you combine with pillar two or do you, you have your clients detox from sugar first? Yeah. Okay. Such a good question. This is such a, this is such a common question. I'm so glad you asked it because this is why I called it the pillars instead of steps Mm. because the powerhouse happens when you do all three of these at once. Okay. So this really is uh, like, I find really important. A lot of people will do that. They'll say, well, I'm just going to do the detox first and then I'll come work with you or then I'll get ready for the inner stuff but it actually is a huge detriment to your progress. If you do that, because when you opened up and you've taken away this crutch, right, you're doing your 30 day detox. You really do need to have a foundation of some of this inner inquiry and inner healing to get you through what's going on. And also to have the awareness of what's going on, right? So that when a craving comes on, you have the tools already to sit with it and question that craving and get clear on where that's coming from and what's going on for you. So When I work one-on-one with clients and in my group programs, what we actually do is we spend a a good three to four weeks doing some inner work stuff and really getting a foundation of awareness and understanding of our beliefs and our emotional connections to food and some of these other pieces in the inner work before even going off of sugar. So we get this really good understanding and skills and tools to really arm ourselves when we're off sugar and someone in our family passes away or we lose our job, or we have a really hard day at work and we're feeling like really stressed and depressed. Or it's your daughter's birthday. Or it's your daughter's birthday. From the local bakery, true story happened to me. Right. Yes, exactly. So once you've started building these skills, it makes that detox period so much easier. And obviously having the support in that is extremely vital. So that's where the community comes in in whatever way kind of resonates with you, but having that support and guidance to walk you through, cause it can, it gets really tricky and our ego wants to sabotage us every step of the way. It wants yeah. us not to change. It wants us yeah. to stay stuck and hooked on sugar and not to do any of this. Right. So yeah. we need to be armed with the community and the support and someone to like push us through when times, when that starts to come up. Yeah. Because I don't know about you, Danny, but I suck at keeping myself accountable. That's why, I mean, you and me, we both, we now have like two, the same business mentors, like BBD and then Samantha Gladish. Like we invest guys, thousands and thousands of dollars for that accountability for someone to hold you accountable. And that's like, for like businesses making money, like sugar and your inner work, that's even more, that's even more critical. That's even more. It's in my opinion, it's harder than the business. It's like, you know, business, like here's the strategy and then get over your like mindset of like, imposter syndrome and all that. I feel like it's easier to do than the inner work when it comes yeah. to letting go of sugar. Well, so they're, about- they're one in the same really, aren't yeah. they? Less sad, like, yeah. you know, having to do all of that. We have to do all that inner work as entrepreneurs as well. Like yes. I've had to 
this is actually parallels a lot of what I'm teaching. Like a lot of my limiting beliefs around money and around time and around my worth and like all the stuff that I've been forced to unpack because of the work that I've done with our mentors around building my business was actually because I was doing those at the same time. Like I started my business six years ago, right at the time when I was starting my journey to give up sugar. And because I was being forced with these mentors to do the inner work, like I was being forced to look at my beliefs and my identity and how I wanted to show up and my emotions and and all of this stuff that I had to unpack, it directly affected my relationship with food. That's really what switched for me was doing this inner work by accident on the side, totally related to something else in my life, actually shifted the way that I related to food and people in my life. My friends changed, like just everything shifted because I was doing this inner work. You know, and, and what was going on inside the stories I was telling myself, the patterns were changing and I was able to then show up as like a healthier version of me in all areas of my life. Yeah. And of course you needed like that outside support and accountability. And that's kind of the same for this journey. So let's talk about the inner work and that pillar. What does that entail? Let's do it. So this is a big conversation. So I'll just kind of give the overview right now, because there's so many topics and, and areas that we can go into, but essentially how I sort of draw this. So everybody listening, like, you know, here's the visual for you. When I host my workshops, which I have one coming up actually that you can come and join for free. And we'll post a link below here. I'm going to be diving a lot deeper into each of these pillars and going through a lot of nuances and a lot of questions that you might be having around this. So what I'll be drawing for you, and you can vision this now is, is it a tree? I love calling this like the tree of sugar freedom. So there's this beautiful tree And up in the branches, you're seeing all the things in your 3D reality, right? You're seeing like your late night snacking, you're seeing your weight gain, you're seeing like, you know, sitting on the couch at the end of the day and not exercising. And you're seeing all these, like these 3D pieces that you can kind of put together in your life. You know, the addiction to sugar, your inability to like, just have one cookie, right? You're seeing the binging, right? These are external pieces of your relationship with food. And what we need to really start looking at is the roots of this tree and what you do not see, what you cannot see on the outside is actually what is creating the tree, right? So these are things at our root. And this is when I talk about inner work, we do have to start looking at all of these pieces for us and it can be a bit overwhelming. So please just be forewarned. I'll share a couple of them here, but there's a long list of areas to look at. And once you start diving into each of these, you do notice very quickly that they all interact, right? Once you start learning how to set healthy boundaries, all of a sudden you notice you're not people pleasing as much and you're able to like, you know, own your emotions more. So they all do tie in together. They're not like you have to spend a year on each of these. They do all weave together. And this is what I do very strategically in my programs. So a couple of the biggest areas to focus on, and this is really where I go first with most of my clients, because these are pretty much for every human being. So number one is trauma. We have to look at our trauma because literally our traumas, both big and little T trauma shape how we see the world and it shapes how we see ourselves. So even below, you know, our belief systems, our identities really stem from trauma and we can have, that's a whole nother conversation for another day. I actually just had a guest on my podcast. We dove deep into this conversation around trauma. So you can go back and listen to that if you want to know more about how trauma really shapes us, but this is really one of the biggest root causes for all addictions. I don't know if you're familiar with Gabor Mate, but he's a, I'm a big fan of his work. He's a doctor that studies here in Vancouver, outside of Vancouver, has studied addiction for many years and really noticing the huge ties between this 
the trauma of not feeling connected and feeling alone and not loved in childhood has actually created this patterning and this perception to to be so disconnected from ourselves that we we then use substances to cope and numb out. It's really fascinating. Go Is and look into to Gabor's work. What's his name? Gabor Mate. Yeah, he's incredible. He's very involved in like the addiction space and it applies to any addiction. You know, he was addicted personally to shopping in his own journey. I'm addicted and- to Amazon Prime. There you go. Okay, so there you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he's just, I love his take and view on it, but this is where, you know, you can get a better understanding of the, how trauma actually shapes us. So that's an area we need to look at and get appropriate support and healing through. And I, I just want to say to everybody listening too, I was one of the people that went around going, well, I don't have any trauma. I didn't, I was never raped. I was never in like a car accident. I don't live in a war-torn country. Like I'm good. The more I started actually understanding about trauma and those first seven years of my life, when I was really, you know, creating my whole view of myself and being in safety survival mode, as we are dependent on our parents at that point, the actual trauma that takes place for most of us, there is disconnection. It's not being emotionally supported, not being heard, not being seen, not being held, not being, you know, really fully unconditionally loved by our parents who at that time and in that era just didn't have the time for us or, you know, just we're believing and behaving in different ways. So we all have some sort of trauma. And I'm realizing now that I know what trauma actually is, I've got a laundry list that I'm currently working through. So just knowing that even if you don't have any big stuff, there is little stuff that to a six-year-old child feels like big stuff. It actually makes a lot of sense because now that I'm thinking, you got me thinking in my childhood, which I kind of like, blacked out in my brain for many reasons, which is um, a safety mechanism. Yeah, yeah. Our ego will do that to keep us safe, right? Our protectors. Yeah, and so out. that's like a whole nother episode here. And I don't talk about it just because, you know, it's just like, you know, it's kind of like your family and you don't want to be talking about that anyway, but it makes sense now to me of like, maybe where my sugar addiction, like rooted from. Yeah. Because I did start when I was a teenager. I told you like on, when I was on your show, like, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I would like buy like 24 packs of Mountain Dew and like Reese's and Twix and all that and just like hide it like in my trunk of my car and in my room and just like binge on it like at home because like, yeah, my childhood was rough and wow, very interesting. Okay. So trauma, what what else does the inner work? What are Yeah. So next up, and this is a, a big one that I love starting with obviously is the emotional piece, right? Our emotional connection to food is so deeply rooted and it It's not even like the fact that when we have an emotion, we reach for food is an external byproduct of the truth that most of us have never been given the tools to actually understand and honor our emotions. Most of us have been taught that it's not safe to feel that when we feel a heavy emotion, it means we're bad, right? Or that it's not okay to be angry. Like these really big messaging that we get from the first moment that our loving mom sees us crying because we fell down and pats us on the back and says, hush, hush, stop crying. Let's go get some ice cream. That moment we teach, oh, it's not okay to cry. I guess I'm going to have food to make this emotion go away. So now we're adults having this patterning of when I feel a difficult emotion, I'm not familiar with this in my body. It's very uncomfortable. I need to make it go away as quick as possible. Give me a hit of heroin or sugar or Netflix or Instagram to give me a dopamine hit so that I'm not feeling uncomfortable in my body anymore. Mm -hmm. So we literally do not have the tools, most of us, to allow ourselves to fully feel. 
right? And especially the difficult emotions. There's, we have baggage around the happy emotions as well, but the difficult ones are really the biggest area to look. Most of us have suppressed so much. There is so many tears that we have sucked up. We've breathed through, we've toughened up through that have not been able to flow through us. And what essentially happens with our lifetime of pushing down our emotional responses to things, you know, thinking of like a soda bottle, right? It's being shaken and shaken and shaken and shaken with the lid on, right? And it's just building and building and building and building. And this energy, because emotions are just energy in motion, actually collects and starts collecting in our cells and in our tissues. And they're now proving, and Gabor has done some studies on this, that this accumulation of pent up emotional energy and trauma energy, right? There's obviously emotions that come from trauma actually leads to disease, actually leading to the cellular change in our bodies and our brains and our cells and leading to various diseases, let alone weight gain. Like I have beautiful stories that I've connected with different friends over the years that have not changed their diet, not changed the way they're exercising, but went and healed their trauma and their emotional baggage and immediately lost all the weight. Oh yeah. I've definitely heard stories about that too. Yeah. It's just it's like fascinating. Like a protective survival mechanism. Yeah. The body holds on to that weight and yeah. that well, our- your fight system and like that tension and in your cells and stuff. And then when it gets released, it's like, you know, homeostasis is all about yeah. homeostasis. And exactly. Yeah. That was not like the only area, obviously we can't just like do our emotional work and then keep living on Coca-Cola. Like that's not going to help, but you know, it's a huge piece that people forget physically, right. Even around like the whole weight loss conversation, who's talking about actually like shedding the weight of all the emotions that we've carried our whole lives, right? Like that needs to be a part of this conversation. So if this is the first time you're hearing this, like, please like spend some time with this. And you know, when it comes to the emotions, I could do a whole talk on this, but just really quick action items for anyone here is the first thing is to well, change your language around emotions. There are no negative or bad emotions and really start to be with your emotions. The first step is practicing in your body, learning to even sit in anxiety, learning to sit in grief, in stress, in frustration, and it is uncomfortable and it is hard. Yeah, and my, eyes, my eyes just like got really big because like, yeah. anxiety <laughs> is not fun. No, no it fun. sucks, right? But it, it's a mandatory part if you're going to really start repatterning this connection, your emotional connection to food. We have to learn how to feel. And what I call making friends with your feelings. We have to make friends with our feelings and know that they're all important. Here's a reminder for everyone. You cannot literally physically cannot feel joy and happiness without feeling sad, stressed, anxious, grief. Yeah, this exactly. is the law of the like yin, yin and yang. yang. Right? Yes. We have to have both. We cannot live without the other. And part of the human experience is having all these emotions every day on a daily basis. I probably feel like 20 emotions. Like I'm feeling really good. And then maybe I'm blue for a minute or sad. Yeah. And then I'm like, good again. And that, if you're an entrepreneur like us, it's yes. more of like times that the roller coaster. The, the, yes, the roller coaster. I've never felt so many emotions in my life than I have the last three years. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So step one is actually learning to feel those in your body because that that's like the skill that we never got. And, and it helps you repattern this belief that so many have that if I fully feel my emotions or relive my trauma, I'm not going to survive. Like there is a subconscious belief for so many that, you know, as soon as I let my anger come out or my sadness come out, I'm just going to be a puddle on the couch for the next months. 
And that's not true. So the more we practice that, the more we notice and can really see and honor that, wow, when I actually give my emotions expression, they actually go away quicker. You know, it's, I love thinking of emotions as like, as a toddler, right in the grocery store, having a temper tantrum, like pulling on your shirt, mom, I want the candy, mom, mom, mom. You know, they're screaming, they're screaming, they're pounding their fists. And it isn't until you actually give them attention, right. And validate them and let them be heard and seen that they start to calm down, right? I mean, most children, that's why they're acting out. This is what is going on is this, this need for love, for attention, for validation. We need that. So it's the same with your emotions. As soon as you acknowledge it, right? As soon as you acknowledge the sadness and you have a little good cry, it goes away. And the more that's you practice- That's the good part about them. Like they go away. They don't they go away while the kids don't go away, right? But maybe their temper tantrum does, right? <laughs> Yeah, but you're, you're right. Like if you just let, just feel your emotions, you'll realize, like, I think, I don't know who said this was like, most of them just last 90 seconds until, unless you keep perpetuating the thoughts around them and then they keep on going. If you just sit with it and let it go, it usually doesn't last that long anyway. Right. So you might as well just sit through it. Yeah. And I don't want anybody to have the expectation that it's going to go away quick. Sometimes it doesn't, you know, if you're going through grief and, you know, I've been going through a lot of sadness now, as I've been going into some of my childhood wounds and there's a lot of sadness coming up, you know, I've spent a couple hours in sadness and then I feel like I'm good and I'll go and do something else for a minute. And then it'll come up maybe again the next day. Like some of these big things, big emotions, especially if we spend our whole lives stuffing them in, they're going to take a while to come out. Right. And there's lots of tools and resources and techniques that we can use to, to like bring those out and to support ourselves with that. But there's a lot going on here. So making friends is step one and just practicing, even if it's like 30 seconds, right? Like the next time you're feeling anxious or angry or stressed or depressed, like just sit with it for 30 seconds, literally like I love the practice of like having both hands on my heart or one hand on my heart and one on my lower belly closing my eyes and just taking three deep breaths and just being in my body with the anxiety or with the grief or whatever, the frustration and just breathing and just being with it, not trying to make it go away, not sucking it up, just observing how does it feel? Where is it in my body? Is it in my fists clenched? Is my stomach in knots? Is it in my throat? Where is it? Where is it in your body? And just like, just spending a minute hanging out with that emotion and then move on right? You know, to start, you really do have to baby step your way in, especially if you've never done this before, it can feel really scary and really difficult. So give yourself permission to baby step. You don't have to sit and cry for hours, but you can spend 10, 20, 30 seconds in the sadness, let a tear come out, and then you can move on with your day. And then the next time, maybe you spend a minute in it, right? And you can start working your way up into really honoring and allowing these emotions to flow. And the next piece here around emotions, like after you've started learning and building relationships with these difficult emotions are to start building some new pathways for processing. So when we understand that emotions are actually energy, we can then do things. And I really caution people because a lot of you listening will go immediately into all of these amazing processing techniques to move emotions. And you're not actually repatterning the understanding of allowing yourself to feel emotions. So it's really a huge, important reminder to what I just shared needs to be a big part of your process and learning to be okay feeling and being in the feeling. So you're not just always, even if it's healthy ways of processing emotions, it can still be avoiding the emotion. You know, if you're feeling sadness and you're like, you know, I'm going to go and listen to a podcast and go for a walk and make this sadness go away. You're still perpetuating that same pattern of this emotion is not good. 
right? And this emotion shouldn't be felt and I should get out of it as quick as possible. I'm going to do that in a healthy way by, you know, distracting myself, right? So we need to be really careful about distracting and using more processing techniques for staying in our body and staying in our mind and not out of our mind. So staying in your body, staying in your mind. So things like Netflix and podcasts, even if they're educational, right? This amazing podcast, you know, whatever else, just paying attention. Are you distracting? Are you thinking about something else or are you still present with the emotion? So that's a really, really fine line to really pay attention to. So things that you can do, I have actually a whole list that I have a whole PDF of suggestions here with, that I share with my clients, but a couple really great ones. And it depends on the emotion, right? Things like going for a run without music, right? Like staying present with yourself, going for a slow walk in nature without music, right? Sitting on your deck with a cup of tea and just being present. Crying is an amazing processing technique. It's built in. Our body already knows what to do. It's built in. Let the tears flow. Give yourself like some cry time, right? Maybe journaling is a great one to stay present with yourself for you. I personally love dancing. I love dancing, movement, chanting as well. I do a lot of chanting in my, in my wood-burning sauna. That's a really sacred place for me to like use my voice, like using our voice to activate moves energy, like amazing. Breathing, right? Doing, sitting and practicing breath work. Maybe it's just sitting and taking like 10 deep breaths, right? To help flow the energy through you. I'm a big proponent of moving your body as much as you can. You see, I'm like a hand talker. You can't see, I guess right now, but you know, moving energy, you know, putting on a a crazy dance song or something that can help you kind of stay connected, getting out in nature, you know, processing for me, often I'll get processing, like I'll cook to process something. Like if I'm feeling a big emotion, I'll be like, Oh, I'm going to go and like cook something. And it helps like just using my hands and being in my creative energy, things like gardening as well, like getting in the garden, getting in the dirt is grounding and helps with processing. So there's so many different ways. And obviously it depends on the emotion, right? Some are more like, I just want to sit and cuddle myself on the couch with a cup of tea. And some are, I need to scream into a pillow because I need this anger to release, right? So there's lots of different tools that you can use, but that's the second step with that, with emotions. Okay. And then the third and final step is community. And you can talk about that and kind of share also what you're going to be doing here and, and few short weeks about bringing this community together and talking about this even further. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So community, as I mentioned earlier, pillar number three, all gets like wrapped together with community because once we start doing the detox, right, we've started doing this inner work. It is extremely likely and very easy for our old patterns and our ego and our self-sabotaging mind to come right back in and take control. And unless we have some sort of accountability and support in community or with a coach, right? Or with a therapist or whoever it is, a mentor of some sort, we will go back into those old patterns. You know, we will. And community is a piece that so many people overlook. And it's actually also a really important piece of the inner work. I see this now more and more, especially over the last year that I've been hosting my programs in community and seeing that like when we're actually in a safe environment to speak our truth and to be heard and validated in community and practice that in community, being met with love in, in our true authentic selves, that in itself heals. That in itself really allows us to be true to us and to learn to love ourselves and to learn to, to really be inward and know that we're not broken. There's nothing wrong with us. We're not alone in this. I can't tell you how many times on our welcome call of my group programs that women are like, what? I thought I was the only one with that problem. 
like, no, we all struggle with pretty much the same things, no matter where you live, you know, if you have kids or not, like what age you are, like a lot of this inner stuff is stuff that we all share in common. There's a lot in common here and it's really healing when we can come together in the right type of community. And I say the right type of community because I really pride myself on creating these very potent, safe, open, vulnerable, real spaces for women in in my groups. I've seen so many women be damaged, myself included, not damaged, hurt, traumatized by being in community where there is no energy of safety and non-judgment. You know, most of us have been in many communities, free Facebook groups, you know, other programs where people are kind of nasty, right? There's judgment, there's shaming, there's no oversight or support in really feeling like you can be yourself, right? And have different beliefs. I love this. I really pride myself on this. I don't care what you believe, how you live, like you are an amazing human being. And I think we need to be in more spaces. And I'm working on this in my own personal life, more spaces where you can be you and not feel judged, right. For believing a certain thing or, you know, liking a certain movie and everybody else doesn't right? or whatever. Right. Or like, you know, loving the spice girls and nobody else does. Right. Like we can, Spice girls. I don't know. I just threw that out there, but like, you know, really like practicing owning our differences and being in a safe space where people aren't going to judge us for that is actually really rare to find. And it's something that, you know, I'm very proud that I I have created in my groups. When we have this energy of safety, we actually allow ourselves to open up and learn how to be vulnerable again, learn how to speak our truth again, learn how to really open up to these deep wounds that need some healing and doing that together in community, I think is far more potent and powerful and transformational than doing it definitely on your own or even one-on-one. And this is why some people ask me like, Danny, why don't you do like one-on-one coaching anymore? And it became really clear to me about two years ago that the one-on-one coaching that I was doing was just not the same in terms of like healing potential as when we do it in a group. And I've noticed this in my own life in healing, you know, I'll work with a therapist. I've always got a team of people like there to support. I'm spending lots on my own growth always. And when I do it with other people, it's always like tenfold more powerful for me. You know, I can have one session with my therapist versus like, you know, going to a full moon ceremony and doing this healing with like a group of other women and it's tenfold. So there is so much magic that can't even be explained in community. And it's really, really important, especially you know, in the beginning and ongoing stages of this journey, right? This healing journey with food, with yourself. And as you're doing this inner work to keep you accountable, to keep you on track. So community is important. Community is really key. And like I said, this is why I've really shifted away from private coaching and, and really into these groups, which as you mentioned, I am getting ready just in the next couple of weeks to actually open registration for my next program, which is called the break free from sugar group program. It's a 10 week journey where we literally integrate every one of these pillars that I just talked about in a really strategic and beautiful way where we build into really helping you solidify and create a brand new relationship with food and ultimately a brand new relationship with yourself. So doing the detox, we do that together. I give you all the recipes. We do the inner work. We have all of these really deep conversations so you can get clarity on where the patterns are coming for you. It's a little bit different for everybody. And then obviously we're wrapped in this amazing community where we, we get to do this work together. So 
that's coming up real soon. And I think I'm going to uh, make sure that you all have the link below this episode to come and get on the wait list and be the first to know when I op- open up registration uh, coming soon. Awesome. Yeah. We're going to put that all in the show notes. So make sure to sign up for that. Cause if it's anything, I mean, today's episode was so great and I learned so much, even myself. And I feel like, you know, I've been studying stuff about addiction and sugar and all that. And, and I still learned a bunch. So if it's going to be anything like this, they're, they're in for a treat. So much value. I'm going to thank you for coming on today. And where can everyone find you? Let us know. I know you now have a podcast. Yay. So what's that called? And, and give us all your links. Yes. Yes. Um, and I loved having you on the podcast the other week as well. Lesha, it's been so fun chatting. So the podcast name is Beyond Sugar Freedom. And that's a really great place to go start. If any of what I've shared really sparks for you, go and binge on some episodes. I think you'll get a really good sense of some of these deeper pieces. I dive a lot deeper in on the podcast to some of these, these inner work pieces that are so important to, to look at. You can also come on over to my website, danielledame.com. I have some really great free resources there. I've got a free video series that you can download and just start doing some of this work, especially around emotions for yourself. And then I'm on Instagram at Danielle Dame, Facebook as well. And I'm, I'm new to TikTok. So by the time this launches, I'm I'm hoping I have some decent videos up there. I'm literally at the time we're filming this, like just doing practice videos. I have no idea what I'm doing. I love my TikTok. It's like, okay. Maybe you can teach me how to use it. So much fun. It's my free comedy and entertainment. It's such a fun place to be. Yeah, I have a feeling it's going to be really fun. So I'm, I'm on there now. You can come and find me and follow me there. Awesome. We'll put all those links in the show notes. I want to thank you so much for coming back to the show. It was so great to have you. Thanks so much for having me. This was such a great conversation. Thanks everyone. Thank you for listening to the Fit Mom Squad podcast. If you liked today's episode, make sure to leave me a review on iTunes and share this podcast with your friends on social media. Don't forget to tag me at BSB Tribe. If you want even more resources, make sure to go to www.bsbtribe.com and head on over to a private community on Facebook, Fit Mom Squad, so that you can get connected with other moms who are crushing their health goals. I can't wait to see you on the inside. Until next time, keep focused on your goals, mama.